Welcome to Friends in Prison. I'm Claire Aronson, and I have 29 friends in prison. Welcome to season three. Of course, I'm Claire. Along with my 29 friends in prison, I have four kids, my handsome husband, a dog, a cat, a pet rat. Why why do I feel that I have to categorize the pet rat that way? It's not like I told you I have a guard dog or a service dog. No, a pet dog. I guess uh, you guys are smart enough to know that if I say I have a dog, a cat, a rat, that I don't mean I have rats running around in my basement, right? But I do. I have a pet rat, a fish, and now two foster bunnies. If you're new, welcome. If you've heard this all before, just zone out for like two minutes. All right. I have never met any of my 29 friends in prison. I found most of them on pen pal websites like writeaprisoner.com, pen a con and friends beyond the wall. Sometimes my pen pals will share my address and I get new pen pals that way. And once I saw a documentary with an inmate who was in the middle of intake, he gave his birthday and it just so happened to be my birthday. So I looked up his address on the BOP, that's the board of prisons and uh, got a pen pal that way. I have never spoken on the phone with my pen pals, and let me tell you why. I use a pseudonym and a post office box when I write to prisoners. If a prisoner wants to call you on the phone, they have to register your phone number. They can't just call whatever number they want to. To register the number, you must fill out a form and send in a copy of your ID. Well, my ID has my name on it, not my alias. Can I call it an alias? Is it more like a pen name because I use it when I'm writing to pen pals? Look. I know that some of you are listening just because the concept of chit-chatting with prisoners is bizarre and you want to know more about it. And some of you just love the sound of my voice. But I know some of you are considering writing to people in prison and you want more information before you begin. Let me tell you, you can use a pseudonym. You don't even need the P.O. box. You can use JPay or Coralinks. Those are email services. They cost about the same, maybe even a little less after the cost of a post office box, less than writing snail mail style. Personally, I rent a P.O. box. I print out pictures like nature photos, funny photos, sometimes photos from my pen pal's old Facebook pages, and I buy stamps, envelopes, pen and paper. For the same cost as all of those things, you could send a JPay email with some digital photos, and then your pen pal doesn't even need to know what state you're in. I'm telling you this because people have expressed to me that they are uneasy communicating with people who are in prison. If you're uneasy about writing to prisoners because you want to stay anonymous, don't let that hold you back. It is very easy to stay anonymous. But I will tell you, a fear of writing to people in prison is a lot like a fear of flying. You should take precautions, sure. If you're on a flight, listen to safety instructions. Figure out where your closest exit is, but don't give up flying forever. If you have a fear of being a pen pal to someone who is in prison, do a little research. You will find I couldn't locate any examples of people who had been victimized by someone they were a pen pal with before or after that pen pal got out of prison. So why do I care if you write to people in prison? Well, because we're all human and people in prison need you. They need a kind word, a sympathetic ear. They need a friend. And people who had a pen pal while in prison have a lower recidivism rate when they are released. They're less likely to commit a crime than people who did not have a pen pal. So it benefits you and your community for you to write to people in in prison. 
if I've convinced you and you don't know how to get started, you can read about finding a pen pal and the rules involved in writing to prisons on writeaprisoner.com, not a sponsor, or you can go back and listen to season one, episode two of Friends in Prison. Okay, now everybody's caught up and we can talk about my friends. I hope you had a great summer. My kids are back in school this week. I've been running into other parents and everybody is greeting each other and asking, did you get out this summer? That has a whole different meaning for me and my friends in prison. Uh, There is good news in that area. Liz and I were counting down the days to her release and I sent her a letter saying, if this letter gets returned to me, I know you're home already. And if you get this, just know that I'm excited for you and I hope you'll update me once you are home. The letter did get returned to me, so maybe Liz is listening right now and will drop me a line. Um, I have had three other pen pals get released from prison, Amanda, Misty, and San Juanita. And I have heard from Amanda and Misty. I have their home addresses. And we write not as frequently as we did when, when they were behind bars. And you know what? I should go ahead and drop them a line right now and let them know, hey, I hope that you're just busy having a great summer and I miss you. Um, I have not heard yet from San Juanita and I did not get a home address from Liz, but hopefully she will update us and let us know that she's doing well. Out of the blue, I got a letter from another friend that said she's going to be released on August 25th. So I hurried up and sent a letter off to her saying, congrats. And she actually included her husband's phone number so that I can get in touch with her once she's home. She's leaving the state that she's in now. She's going to a halfway house in another state. And then she'll get an ankle monitor when she goes home to her third state. So I really do want to have a conversation with her and say, you know, was this your choice? Is Is this prison, did it have some accommodations that uh, a prison closer to your family didn't have? Is this the best halfway house? Is this the only halfway house that's available? You know, why so many different states? Why so far away from your family? You would think that the prison system would be interested in keeping people close to their family because when you get out of prison, having family support is another one of those indicators to success. So, I would certainly want to encourage people to be close to their family while they are in and right when they are getting out of prison. So speaking of people going home, let's take one moment. If you believe in prayer, say a little prayer with me. And if you don't believe in prayer, that's okay. God listens anyway. Just join us. My friend Daniel is going before the parole board. Um, If you remember, Daniel is in prison for personal drug charges I know that he is ready to be released. I know his family would love to have him home. And I just think he will be successful and healthy. And not just because I'm an internal optimist, but because I have gotten to know Daniel over these last three years that we've been pen pals. Does that count as a prayer? Do we have to like put it in a certain format? All right, here, just in case. Dear Lord, we lift Daniel up to you. Fill him with strength and wisdom and give the parole board wisdom and understanding as they decide his fate. Thank you for the gift of Daniel and for his sake, for his family's sake, and for our sake. My hope is that he is released from prison. Show him your plan for his life and show me how I can support him through this, no matter what the outcome. Amen. Okay, speaking of Daniel, the last episode of season two 
was all about slavery in Texas. Daniel is imprisoned in Texas, and their state constitution says that slavery is outlawed in that state except when it comes to prisoners. And I was like, yeah, but if you're in prison and you don't work, they'll still feed you. They won't beat you. Plus, even if you don't earn money, you still earn good conduct time or, as I used to know it, time off for good behavior. But I wasn't totally right. I will say it was very nice to be able to put out that podcast and then Daniel's girlfriend heard it and then she talked to Daniel and then Daniel wrote to me. And this is something that that people should rightly be very sensitive about. This is his life. He is in prison. He knows what he's talking about. But he was like totally open to having a debate about whether or not this is considered slavery and totally open to the fact that I would say to him, dude, I don't agree with you. I wouldn't classify this as slavery. But Daniel, you know, explained himself a little bit more. Why does he consider it slavery? Because when, while Daniel does earn good time for the work that he does, there's no guarantee that it's going to translate to an earlier release. The, pol- the parole board considers it, and then they make their decision one way or the other. It's like earning space bucks or kudos. You know, it might help you look better in front of the parole board, but it's not like college credits. It's not like make the grade and you get your diploma and you get out of here. If you're in prison in Texas and you don't work, They can move you to a higher security prison. They can add time to your sentence. They decide where you work and when and how much. And if you don't agree to it, there are consequences. It's not just like you're volunteering because you want to help pass the time and so you want to get a job. So I really wish I could understand the philosophy behind not paying prisoners even any compensatory amount. You could pay them a dollar an hour or 20 cents an hour. It would just relieve a little bit of the financial pressure from their families. So what do I mean by that? Why is there financial pressure on the family of prisoners? Because prisoners need to pay for stationery so they can write to their pen pals, uh, hygiene products, shoes, and snacks. Why do they need these things? They get prison issue plastic Crocs for shoes, right? Well, If they have tennis shoes, they can walk or jog, and their physical health will be better. Their mental health will improve. The condition of their feet will improve if they have tennis shoes rather than plastic Crocs, and they're doing things like jogging. Do we need to issue everyone tennis shoes? No, I don't think so, because some people won't use them or don't need them. Those kinds of people could spend their small paycheck on something else, whether it's over-the-counter heartburn medication or something that they might need that another prisoner doesn't. And it would be too expensive uh, and and there's just not enough space to issue every prisoner everything. And I will tell you, if we say, just ask for what you need, then people are going to ask for things that they do not need. If they use their own money, they will be more discerning about what they quote unquote need. That's what I see from my own children. I mean, that's what I know about myself to be true. If someone says, it's free, we're just going to throw it away if you don't take it. Well, suddenly I think I have a use for it and I take it home. Does that make me sound like a hoarder? (laughs) No, I hope not. I'm just saying that not paying prisoners anything and punishing them by moving them to a higher security prison and revoking privileges is demoralizing. So is our whole viewpoint about this purely psychological? 
what if Texas put people into maximum security facilities to begin with? To be clear, I'm not advocating for this. I just want to try a little thought experiment. What if new people entering the prison had zero privileges and by working, they earn privileges? They move to more comfortable, lower security facilities. Would people feel like they were being paid because they were being paid in privileges? Well, let me explain why I think this wouldn't work. It is easier to leave things in the status quo. I think we can agree on that. You're in a maximum security facility. You would have to advocate for yourself, fill out the forms, make sure someone else is filling out the forms to move you and to move you as quickly as possible. Officials are going to be more motivated to move a prisoner who's making trouble, someone who is refusing to work, as opposed to moving someone who is compliant and productive. That just wouldn't be a priority. That person is already compliant and productive. (laughs) Okay, Uh, here's another reason why it wouldn't work, because maximum security prisons don't offer jobs. There's just too many moving parts. Uh, The type of equipment that prisoners have access to, the freedom to move about the facility. Um, It's just there are too many moving parts to offer inmates jobs in high security prisons. And the whole concept means starting with mistrust and punishment. And isn't that demoralizing? Prisoners are put into different categories. If you're convicted of a minor, nonviolent crime, you should not be housed with career violent criminals just so you can be tricked into feeling like you're not a slave as you work and you earn a transfer to the prison you should have been housed in to begin with. So... Agreed, people should start in low security. People should start with the idea that they are trusted to to work and to do what they're supposed to do. And I can see why they feel like that is slavery. But how can we change the feeling of it? I think the easiest thing is to pay them some small amount, um, as is done in many other states. But... Um, We're going to have to try and do a little research and figure out why it is that Texas is doing it the way that they're doing it, and is it more or less successful than what's happening in other states and other countries? You know what? Prison reform is something we should constantly be discussing. The same way that we discuss improving schools and roads, as a society, we should be able to recognize that we don't have it perfect. Like, for instance, changing four-way stops to roundabouts might be confusing and costly, But if research shows that it decreases accidents and increases the speed at which we can pass through intersections, we should embrace the idea. So when I say that we should all discuss and study prison reform, I'm not advocating for shutting down prisons. You can reform prisons by making minor changes, minor changes that might have major effects. And you know what? As I said, Daniel's parole hearing is on August 25th, so for him at least, It could be a moot point. All right. I've also talked to you before about my friend Val. She is also incarcerated in Texas. A little background in case you don't remember. She is an alcoholic. She was driving under the influence when the police tried to pull her over. She fled from the police and she hit a car killing four people. She was devastated. She never intended to hurt, let alone kill anyone by action. But actions do have consequences, of course. And she was sentenced to 55 years. 
At the time, she offered no defense. She just completely accepted responsibility. She agreed that she deserved a prison sentence, and she deferred to the discretion of the prosecutor, who was seeking between 40 and 55 years. The judge sentenced her to 55 years. The judge also found that Val's car is considered a deadly weapon, so she'll have to serve at least 27 and a half years before she's eligible for parole. Val has served 10 years so far, and she's come to the conclusion that her life still has value to society. She still takes responsibility for her actions, but she wants to honor her victims by leading a productive life outside of prison. She shouldn't be a burden on society by remaining a prisoner, but rather, if she got out, she could be contributing to society. If she had had some sort of defense in the beginning, or if she had tried to strike a deal, you know, maybe she would be eligible for parole earlier. Maybe they wouldn't have classified her car as a deadly weapon. Um, maybe she would have gotten the 40-year sentence instead of the 55. But now that she has that sentence, what can she do to get out of prison earlier? Just for the record, I don't always talk to my pen pals about why they're in prison, but Val and I have spoken extensively. She opened a GoFundMe to raise money for a lawyer to assist her in requesting this sentence reduction. So according to Val, between 80 and 90% of sentence reduction requests are denied in Texas. So she doesn't want to exhaust her appeals and requests without using a lawyer, without giving herself the best shot at a positive outcome. Uh, Her GoFundMe did not gain any traction. I did a little research, and it looks like 10 years per death is a pretty typical sentence. You know, I figured that if I could find a substantial difference between Val's sentence and other people in Texas, that would be grounds for an appeal. That would be um, grounds for a sentence reduction. But I couldn't find that. Okay, so Val doesn't have any money for a lawyer, and her friend Claire isn't a good amateur lawyer, so what other avenues can she take? Well, I know it's not guaranteed, but she can earn good conduct time by getting one of those unpaid jobs, right? No. Running from the police is an aggravating circumstance. And anyone with aggravating circumstances can't earn good conduct time in Texas. So, despite this, Val went to AA. She's had the same AA sponsor for 12 years. Um, After 10 years in prison, Maybe it hasn't been 12. Um, I think right around the time when she went into prison, she got this AA sponsor. She has, all this time that she's been in prison, conducted herself in a dignified manner. To my knowledge, she hasn't had any behavioral infractions. I mean, we've been writing for three years. She's never been in solitary or under any punishment in that time. Okay, so she can't raise money for a lawyer, at least not yet. She, She should keep trying. She should keep brainstorming how she might raise some money. Um, She doesn't want to apply for the sentence reduction without a lawyer or at least without a convincing argument. And she doesn't have, she has some arguments, but none I think that are 100% this is going to work in front of the judge. Um, She can't earn good time because of the aggravating circumstances in her conviction. So my last idea is writing to lawmakers and making an appeal to change that so that people in her case could earn good conduct time and possibly get out a little earlier. It's been proposed before, and it's been voted down. But things change. Congressmen change. It might be Val's best shot at getting out of prison. 
I don't like to make judgment calls on my friends' sentences. I want to support them, lift their mood, be a good friend. They have had enough people passing judgment on them. They don't need one more. So I kind of feel like in Val's case, rather than donate to her GoFundMe or start a campaign to change those rules in Texas in regard to good conduct time, I would just give Val advice or ideas as to what she might try. If I felt strongly that she should serve the full 55 years or I felt she should be eligible for parole right now, I would take more action and I would give her that opinion. But I feel very neutral about that. And that kind of hurts to say because I consider Val a friend. I, I really enjoy getting to know her and writing back and forth with her. Ah, oh, how can I say I feel neutral about my friend being in prison? Like, if it was my husband or my family member that was sent to prison, I would send them money to help make them more comfortable each month. I would make sure that I was fighting to get them out as soon as possible. But when you actively seek friends in prison, I can't fight to get everyone out or send everyone money to make their stay more comfortable I mean, I told you before, my idea of prison reform is prison improvement. It's not giving everyone a more comfortable, shorter stay. So, so far, I mean, it seems like my friend Val understands that and appreciates that. I know that she needs an advocate. I know that she wants someone on the outside fighting for her and and she's looking for her friends to be that person. I mean, who else is going to do that for her? But she does seem understanding when I tell her, you know, here are my ideas and I'd love to help you as much as I can, but I don't want your expectations to be higher than what I can really do, considering the fact that I have 28 other pen pals who are in prison who also want to get out as soon as possible, considering the fact that I have my four kids and other things going on, other things that I volunteer with, my other friends who are here with me outside of prison. So it is sometimes heartbreaking when you're writing to somebody in prison, but I think that the optimistic part of it and the part that I can be helpful to Val makes it worth it, even though I can't be as good a friend or as productive a friend as what she would hope for or she might need right now as she's struggling to come to terms with her past and the hope that she has for her future. Okay, so the last thing I want to say about prison reform is that prison should be about creating a safer society. It should be about rehabilitation, deterring crime, and confinement when that is the best protection for society. If you're new to the show, I hope that you'll tune in for a new episode every Saturday morning. I would love for you to get to know my friends better. We don't always just talk about prison policies I was really shocked to find out how much I had in common with the people I started corresponding with in prison. People would rather talk about crochet than their involvement in criminal behavior. People would rather talk about movies, books, religion, animals, their kids, music, art, pet peeves, all the things that I talk about with all of my friends. So tune in next week, tell everyone about the podcast, and as always... Find your own friends in prison.